Please be seated. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day that is clearly taught in the scriptures is foundational to the Christian faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Our Lord did rise from the grave. He is risen, changes everything. It changes everything so dramatically that it is the basis for the, the, the terrible effects of the fall being pushed back. Listen to these words also from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection validates and vindicates Jesus as the Redeemer. He has conquered sin and death. His victorious resurrection means that we not only have new life today like Lazarus did when he was raised from the tomb by Jesus to physical life after having died, but we too will experience a bodily resurrection in that great day to come at Christ's second coming. You see, Jesus did not come down from heaven in the incarnation and take the nature of a human being where he lived a perfect life, where he suffered, where he died and was buried and then rose again from the day just to be a footnote in human history. He came down to really redeem sinners who are dead in their sins and have no hope apart from him. The Bible offers freely all of the saving benefits of Christ, including his res resurrection, to all men. That's the great message of the Bible. And today I want us to look at four non-negotiable truths about this gospel offer. Responsibility, ruin, redemption, and response. You'll find those uh, printed there on the sermon outline. And let us now turn to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, as we come to continue celebrating all that you have done for us in the resurrection, we humbly ask you uh, to guide us as we now seek to understand the gospel offer and how it applies to us and the response that it demands. Lord, I pray that each one of us here today would hear the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, we want to begin where God begins in, in the book of Genesis with man is responsible uh, to him. In Genesis 1 and 2, we find God being the loving creator. He created everything, including man, and he created man uh, to be in his own image. And God not only created, but he also governs and sustains his creation. He is working today, sustaining and governing all that he has created. The psalmist says... Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pa uh, pasture. He created us. 
He owns everything. He owns us. We're totally dependent upon him. We are his. And the Apostle Paul in his sermon to the Athenian philosophers in Acts picks up on this where he writes or preaches, since he himself, that is God, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything that they should seek him. For in him we live and move and have our being. God is everything to man. In fact, God created man in his own image. The man has a responsibility as originally given to reflect God's attributes, his character to the world. Man has a responsibility to reflect God's holiness, love, wisdom, grace and mercy, goodness, patience, righteousness and justice, truthfulness and faithfulness. And let's just look specifically at man having the responsibility to reflect God's righteousness. Adam was created and all men are created under this responsibility to perfectly obey the law of God. The law of God that is written on the human heart, the law of God that is revealed in Exodus chapter 20 that we know as the Ten Commandments or the moral law. And here's the standard that God has set for his creatures, human beings. Jesus gives us the standard in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So have you or I met that standard personally? You don't even have to answer. I'm going to answer for all of us. No. Not one person here today has met that standard. And so you may ask, why? And here's the reason why. Second, all mankind is ruined by sin. And sin leads to rebellion. Rebellion against the loving creator to whom we are responsible. We are responsible to be perfect. But because of sin, we're incapable of even approaching being perfect. We can't fulfill the responsibility. So let's look for a second. What is sin? And I think sin is easily understood in two ways. It's taught in two ways in the scriptures that sin is that sin nature which every human being has at birth. It's something that's congenital. It's called original sin. We're born of the sin nature. We're born dead in our transgressions, as Paul says. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So original sin is the definition of sin as well as actual sin. The second part or second part of the answer to that question. Because we have a sin nature, we actually sin. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. What's in the heart comes out in our words and our actions and our thoughts and our motives. Uh, we do not conform to what God has told us to do. And we do what God has told us not to do. Sins of omission and commission. So original sin, actual sin... I think what we can say, and, and we can agree with the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're part of a ruined, a ruined race. Every person 
has the responsibility to be perfect before God. But every person lacks the ability to do so. We are sinners by nature. Our hearts are hard by nature. We are rebels to the core. The words of Isaiah 64 and verses 6 through 7 describe this, this estate of sin and misery that is the natural state of humanity. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. That's sin. That's a ruined race. But there's a price to pay for sin, isn't there? There are consequences to being a part of this ruined race. In Genesis chapter 3, we find man's fall into sin, and because of that, that physical death entered the world, and man died physically. And Romans 5.12 says this very clearly, sin came into the world, therefore all men die. But yet, there's even a greater consequence than physical death. It's what Revelation 21.8 calls the second death. It is eternal death where one faces the wrath of God forever. Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, physical and eternal. Wow, what a message for Easter Sunday morning. If I were to stop right here, we would all go away with no hope, right? I, you just don't know what a thrill it is for me not to stop here. Because the real story is this. He is risen. Now, for the wages of sin is death, Paul said in Romans 6, 23. Paul didn't stop there either. Because he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there is a Redeemer. And all mankind needs a Redeemer, a Savior. And that Redeemer, that Savior, is Jesus Christ, who is taught in the Scriptures. And that's truly good news for those who face the consequence of death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is our Redeemer, lived a perfect life for us. And that's the main part I want to say about his perfect life, that he perfectly obeyed God's law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled every responsibility, the responsibilities that we talked about under the first point. He fulfilled them all completely, perfectly. But he lived this perfect life not for himself. He was already perfect. He lived a perfect life for you and for me. 
for us. That's, this, that's such a significant qualifier. The responsibility of all mankind, that all mankind is under, is met fully in Christ Jesus' perfect life. But Jesus says our Redeemer also means that he died an atoning death for us in our place. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 4 really are at the very heart of the gospel message. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus sacrificed his life as a substitute for ours to pay a debt that he did not have, but a debt of sin that we owed to God and could never repay. Think of it like this. Jesus took our place, I speak personally, Jesus took my place on the cross to pay for my debt that I charged up in order to free me from the penalty that I deserve. I am so guilty before God based on my own record. But yet, God doesn't accept me based on my record. We'll get to that in just a moment. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. Tom read the last part of Isaiah 53, a beautiful picture of Christ in the Old Testament. But listen to these words in verse 53 and think of substitution but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we white sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You think you know what it's like to be weighed down by sin? Think of the weight that was upon the shoulders of Christ Jesus as he hung on that cross. Jesus as our Redeemer made a great transaction. He who knew no sin, who was perfect, and perfectly fulfilled all the responsibilities of the covenant. Took the sinner's sin upon himself and redeemed that sinner from its penalty. He pardoned them. And then he placed his perfect righteousness, imputed it or credited it to them, whereby God would accept them, not based on their record, not based on my record, but based on Christ's perfect record. This is the doctrine of justification. We're pardoned because of the merits of Christ. We, we are accepted as justified because of the pardoning grace of Christ, but also as righteousness imputed to us. And just think of this Christ 
who knew no sin, taking our sin for us. Christ giving those who all they knew was sin, <laughs> his perfect righteousness. And that person now being able to stand before holy God with his head lifted up. Think about that. That's that act of, that double act, double imputation. I think we see this in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The taking of our sin, the giving of his righteousness. That's our hope. That's our life. So the ruined state that we're in by nature has been reversed for all those who have been united to Christ, who have had their sins taken by him and his righteousness imputed to them. We're no longer slaves and enemies and rebels, but sons and daughters and saints. Listen to just how significantly Jesus the Redeemer reverses the effects of the fall. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He has risen, along with all of his other saving works, has brought this great reversal about. Well, how does one actually benefit from this offer? It's the fourth point that I want to make this morning, that all mankind must respond to this offer of the gospel rightly. In repentance and faith. In fact, Jesus says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Some, however, respond to the gospel offer falsely. One may think, hey, I know a lot of things about Jesus and that's enough to get me into heaven. Pure doctrinal knowledge didn't get the demons into heaven, and in some ways they were more orthodox than some people living today claiming Christ are orthodox. They knew who Jesus was, yet they were not saved. And simply feeling emotionally drawn to Jesus, or maybe fearing judgment, or being sorry for your sin, that's not enough. An emotional response is not enough for one to be brought in to the kingdom. And nor is this simply pulling up your bootstraps and willing to do the right thing. That's not good enough either. And the reason these are not good enough is, is that they are really out of a heart that is still hardened and a person who is still a rebel towards God. But merciful God ordains, according to his sovereign will, to change the hearts of sinful sinners that they might be able to respond rightly to the, this beautiful, powerful offer of the gospel in Scripture. This is called the doctrine of regeneration. 
And so, really, to, to respond rightly to the gospel means that it really is a full-orbed response. One old theologian said it's a full-orbed salvation. And just listen for a moment. Our minds are redeemed. We know our sin and that we deserve hell. But we know who Jesus is, that he's the redeemer who came to save sinners. We feel the weight of our sin and shame. And yet, our affections are redeemed. And we are drawn to Christ. We begin to love him. And we see our sin and we see our state and our destiny being death. And we turn from that. And we, our will is operative, and we turn, and we grab hold of Christ. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We turn from sin, and we come to Jesus. But you see how full orb the salvation is? The whole person is transformed, is changed. Everything is regeneration. God the Holy Spirit working in us changes everything. And we come to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. A true response, I believe, is found in John 3.16. And 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And I believe what John is meaning there by belief is this, this saving faith, this saving belief, this full-orbed response that we find in the scripture. The offer of life through Christ the, the Redeemer is genuinely given to all men. And hear these words of Jesus where we, we see this genuine offer given and a response asked. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes or and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, he is he is risen, really has changed everything. For all who believe this, that is, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he is the redeemer, that he will truly give you a, a new and changed life today, and he will truly give you and me a life eternal with him in heaven. So what is our response to this life-changing and life-giving offer that we find in the gospel. May each one of us contemplate 
Jesus' question, do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that it is clear. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for all of his saving benefits that are communicated in this table that we will come before in just a moment. Thank you, Father, for this offer, this genuine offer to save sinners who are in a desperate state. And thank you, Father, that you are faithful to your word. May each one of us turn and run to Jesus and find rest and life and life everlasting for our souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.